Good morning and welcome to The Age Stage. My name is Paula Dunn and I'm here today with Brody Gazay and The Age Stage is a program that looks at issues and matters affecting older Australians. How are you, Brody? Good. How was your Anzac Day? Very moving. Was it? Yes, it's always very, um, yeah, very moving for yeah. me. Mm. Yeah, well, we, I, I had a little bit of play at the... Um, at the end of the, at the beginning of the week, mm-hmm. I played a little bit of music. For yes, that. that was lovely. Yep. Yep. Mm. Uh, and so you're well? I am well, thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, really good. You're looking very fit. Now, uh, we've got, uh, we've got a, we, we, we do have a, a, a pre-record that we're doing later today. Yes, we do. Uh, and so I'm just warning everyone here, uh, our listeners, uh, it's a very interesting uh, story that you're going to be listening to. It'll be the last story of the day. So, uh, be, but be prepared because it is one where our guest has got, uh, a, uh, an impediment caused by a stroke and he's quite difficult to understand. However, what he's got to say is so important and so valuable that you really need to just stop for a couple of minutes and put your ear to the. the he was just totally thing. inspirational. He was, wasn't he? I found, you yeah. know, the, the courage and passion that he spoke. Yeah. Was and for someone who, as he, as he said, you know, when after the stroke he couldn't talk, he couldn't do anything. Mm. They just took him off to an old people's home and left him there. At 38 years of At 38 age. 38 years of age. Mm. So, uh, Wonderful. Well and done, to hear, everyone. Yeah, mm. To hear how he came back from that, it was an extraordinary... So it's worth the effort. Yes, it's worth the effort. it certainly is. So what's happening today, so apart t- from that? Today, well, we have our friends with us, who we we'll do. introduce in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and also... Um, and or, you know, obviously, as you've been speaking mm. about Jeff Shaw, but we also have, um, following the Commonwealth Games, uh, Osteopathy Australia, uh, we're talking to the CEO of Osteopathy Australia. What's osteopathy? O- osteopaths. Just, uh, and, yeah, bones and things. Yeah, bones, bones and things. Mm. Yeah. A bit like physios, but, you know. Osteos. Yeah, exactly. Here we mm. go. Which brings mm. us to our favourite music. And welcome today to Stuart Shaw from the Village Baxter. Welcome, Hi, Stuart. Hi, Brody. And Stuart. And Peter Nielsen from the Village Glen. Welcome, Peter. And good morning, and great, great to be back. Yes. Condolences. Good to see you, Peter. It is. Mm. It's not much fun, all of that. But there you go. And we've actually had some people phone in with questions, we, haven't we? We right? have. Yeah. yeah, we have, which is sort of starting to... And, and p- listen, if anybody does want to ring in, you can ring in 5975-1234. If it doesn't get answered, then uh, you just leave a message and then they write it out and they make sure that it gets through to us. So we've, we've uh, otherwise they'll take, somebody will take the message and then they will make sure that it gets through to us. So the f- uh, if you're ready, guys, I know these are, these are questions without notice, but it's, uh, it'll put you on your metal a bit. Um, the first issue is to do with security, and this is Mrs. Cardew from Mornington. I think I read that correctly. Now she, it seems, lives in at the moment. She lives in a in a gated unit, and she's very comfortable there. She likes the f- fact that it's it's just sealed off, and she's been there for several years. She's looking at going into a retirement village. I, I would think it's due to the passing of her husband, and. She recognises that a lot of them don't, aren't gated, and that is sort of concerning her. Should, should, so should she look for a gated place because she's used to it, or should she not worry about it either way? Peter? Uh, that's a good question. I can only speak from my personal experience, and the village, Glen is sort of gated. 
we have five separate entrances, four of which are gated, um, but the main entrance is not and has never been. We have provision to make it gated, but until we have circumstances where we think we need to, we choose not to. And we've been there, as you know, for 40 years. Mm. Um, and from time to time, clearly we have had some issues, particularly because we're on the southern peninsula at Christmas times, there's a lot of visitors. Mm. And sometimes people just wander in who shouldn't wander in. And we have had times where um, there's been, shall we say, undesirables wandering around, you know, late mm. in summer. Sorry, so, Peter, I didn't yeah. mean to intrude <laughs> on a village like that. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, I, yes, I just wanted to get yes. in first and yes. put a disclaimer in there. Yes. We let him out, you see. It wasn't Stuart who was the undesirable. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we have had the need occasionally, and in my budget we have some money set aside for security. Mm-hmm. Security meaning we have um, a security firm who come in um, on call uh, just to keep an eye on the place. I can't think of an occasion in the last five years where that's happened, but it has happened prior to that. Mm. Uh, our residents are fairly comfortable that the front is not gated. So I'm, I'm thinking it's a sad day, really, yep. uh, where we have to lock ourselves away. But that is happening worldwide. Well, I live yeah. in, a, mm. in a cluster of units. Yeah. There's 10, 10 units, and, a, and our gate shuts at about 8 o'clock at night. Um, and I did have an incident last year when I broke my wrist and my um, to-be son-in-law is a paramedic and he said, well, how would I get in there? Mm, that is an issue. Yes, yeah. and um, you know, if I'm on mm. my own, I'm, mm. I'm not talking to them. I can't give them the code, obviously, and it did make me think. And it, mm. yeah, um, and I don't that's, know the answer yeah, to that. That's mm. interesting, isn't it? Mm. 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 Yeah. So there's two sides to the story. Yeah. So if you look at Village Baxter, we have gates on all of our entrances, and certainly from eight o'clock at night, our gates are closed. Mm. But that doesn't mean that you can't access the village from that. So it depends as to whether it's the illusion of being in mm. a locked environment mm. or whether it's simply... Um, well, it is locked. I mean, you can't just just press any old buttons and come in, can you? You can. Oh, Oh, yeah, okay. So just obviously, you know, paramedics would know that. Yeah. So certain <coughs> gates are locked, mm-hmm. but not all gates are locked right. because, you know, if you have a taxi that's going to come and collect you, yes. they need to be able to get in. Yeah. And so I, I dare say that's one of the issues why Village Glen mm. have their front gate open. Mm. If an ambulance is going to come yeah. or a taxi or a relative, so it provides easy access. So we do we, have video surveillance of all gates. And I was going to say, yeah. we, and yeah. we have video surveillance uh, throughout the village. Mm. So we, we would have probably 40 cameras mm. uh, because of the, the size and the number of entrances uh, that lead directly to units. Well, we so, have a phone system, and if somebody came, like, to visit, they would they would press a button uh, on the intercom and my, for my unit, and I would see their face and then allow them... I'd let them in for me. They don't even need to know the code. Mm. I would let them in. Does yours but work that way? No. 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 So, but, but imagine the environment. So you've got 10 units. Mm. Yeah. So you've got 10 people. We've got 800 people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. And if everyone's pushing the bus <laughs> yes, at the yes. same time, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it still doesn't solve the issue. It still doesn't solve the issue in my no. case of um, emergency vehicles coming in. Yeah, but, but getting back to the question as posed, yeah. one of the, if if you like, the raison d'etre, the reason for being of retirement villages is an emergency call system. Yes, mm. I'm thinking, yeah, the gates may or may not be a good thing, but the good thing for our listener is that should she choose to move to a village. The security is not really the locked gate. The security is the fact that there is someone on call mm. 24-7 who is either in the village or nearby who can attend to her concerns, be they health, security or maintenance. Yes. Now, that is that is the one of the main reasons villages exist is just that reason, is there is someone who will attend to your needs and it's not a voice of someone in the Philippines. It's actually someone who will come to your home in really? most villages and attend to your needs. Is that right, Stuart? You think? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And for our listeners, she needs to determine why does she want to move into a village as mm. from where she currently yes. is, is residing, that um, whether gated or not gated, that's not a criteria in itself. Mm. You know, she may want to enjoy the lifestyle, it may be, as Brody said, that her husband may have passed away and and so she just wants to move where there's going to be greater companionship. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole raft of issues that draw people to make that conclusion and a gated community would be very low on that particular list. Mm-hmm. All right, I think that answers that. So, Mrs Carnegie, the answer is um, uh, uh, don't worry about it, really, is the way that I read it. it um, and just be- feel safe because there's an awful lot of people there looking out for you. Mm. Uh, now, uh, Shelley Fitzgibbon, uh, and I'm not sure uh, where she comes from, but she has a, a, a really rather sad story. She knows that her mum uh, has uh, uh, problems with dementia and with all sorts of stuff, She, you know, the way that you read between the lines. Uh, she lives at home. The house is too big. Um, uh, the uh, the, the uh, Shelley can't go and look after her. She wants her to go into low care, and she just won't listen. Is there is there a, an advisory service, or do you take her to a place like one of your places, or do you do you, how how would you do that? I mean, she really has dug her heels in to say, mm. I don't. I, I, I don't like And they this. can be very stubborn. Yeah. Well, I've had that circumstance. I'm sure Stuart and his staff has also with residents with similar questions or mm. families. Mm. Mm. I think the place to start would, would be um, to get mum assessed for home care to start with. Um, yeah, I agree. That would be the very first place to start. And, and home care clearly is the government's preference for dealing with older people with these these sorts of issues. Keep them at home. It's a better environment to be at home, according to the government. According to most people, they'd rather be at home. That's where they're comfortable. That's where their memories are. So the first thing I would do is is go through my aged care and get an assessment through the local aged care assessment to come into the home and see what mum's needs are. Um, we always encourage the family to be there for that assessment because in our experience... Um, and we've had this conversation a number of times over, mm. over the last journey, is that everyone's pretty stoic. Yes. And if you ask them, f- f- what, you, what, what are your needs, and we don't have any needs, we're doing really well, where clearly the family are recognising that they do have needs. So the family should be there for the assessment. And I always recommend that if they're going to be assessed for home care, also get assessed for respite. 
Okay. Now respite is 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 spending up to sixty three days per financial year in a in an aged care facility of your choice in little bites of two or three weeks for a holiday. And we mm. and that's the way we sell it to people is this is not going into care. This is a chance to be spoiled for two or three weeks just to recharge your batteries so you can come home and live independently again with your home care package. Mm. Now, the government would say to you, respite's not about a holiday. Mm. Respite's about really uh, giving your carer a day off. But there are people who live at home alone Mm. and their carer is the family. Mm. Respite's really more about, Mm. in, in my view... Recharging them. Would you agree with that, Stuart? Yeah. And, a, and an introduction, wouldn't you mm. think, yeah. Peter, to, to yeah, that sort so of it, So it does both, yeah. both things, Paula, mm. that you get to sample aged care and it may not be a demon that it yeah. gets perceived to yeah. be for the person. Mm. I think for Shelley, part of a problem is if mum's living alone and she's now wandering yes. uh, now, that somehow they, they need to make the house and the 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 block of land safe because the last thing you would want is mum to to trot off down the street forget where she is and end up at Essendon Airport. Mm. I don't I don't know whether she actually does walk about. We do actually have. Funny you should say that because our next next question is she does go walk about, but this this one doesn't. She seems to be okay at home. Uh, but the daughter, I think it's a lot to do with her. Shelley, I don't think, can visit as much as she would like to because she lives yeah. away away. So, and so if, so if mum is reasonably capable yeah, yeah. of find, negotiating a way around the home, then you're far better to support her with an aged care package. Mm. You know, mm. you, you would mm. try and provide minimal disruption yes. to somebody until they are at risk. Yes. The problem with that is mum may be now living a very lonely existence, mm. waiting for the home home carer to come in, be it be it daily, be it once or twice a week, whatever it may be. Mm. And mum's so mum might end up withdrawing uh, and losing some of her social skills. So somehow mum, you know, Shelley needs to try and keep mum engaged in whatever the community activities may be that, that she enjoys. Mm. My mum used to spend all her time cleaning before the cleaning lady came. Yeah, absolutely. And cooking and putting meals in the fridge so that the cooking lady didn't <laughs> yeah, have to cook. Yes. She just had to heat something in the microwave. <laughs> yeah. And But she loved their company. Yeah, yes. and, yeah. and some of these, Stuart's right, if, if she is disengaged with community, with a package, she can go and visit a day centre and spend two or three hours, what we used to call the senior mm. sits. Yes, um, yes. Um, yeah. facilities mm. they now have like Stuart's got one we've got one there's quite a few in the Rosebud area where you can go and just spend the day and, yes. they're, and they're, you're actually um, lots of activities mm. but more importantly meeting other people in your same circumstance yeah, yeah. And, it, and it is you know part of mental stimulation uh, certainly we provide the main meal of a day being lunch and I presume we do uh, you, you do as well mm. so day centres are a good entree again into a caring network. Mm. So, and, and we have people in our day centre who will come two or three times a week. I thought the main meal of the day was happy hour. Well, I, <laughs> I didn't describe what that's lunch a, might have that's been. That's the village that's, that we're going to, bro. Yes. 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 <laughs> so, so certainly Shelley has a few options to explore. She does. Da, day yeah. centre would, would be a good one to yeah. explore. Mm. Yeah. And, and they're fairly easy to, uh, to get into. And, and one and of get, the get one of the issues currently with the home care and assessments is the delays. Yeah. So 
if mm. I know at the moment if she applied for an aged care assessment through my aged care, mm. she could be waiting six months to be assessed. Right. So yeah. six months is a long time. And, a long and if you're struggling, yeah. it's a very long time. Yeah. So th- you can visit these other centres that are funded by the government through the old hack services. Yes. Um, so as an interim, maybe get on the front foot and fun- self-fund. Yep. Um, mm. which to get there. To, to get some care and get introduct, introduction mm. into it now yeah. and then get the aged care assessment. Mm. All right, Shelley, well, good luck with that. Um, and now we do have a strange one, which is something about going walkabout. <laughs> I'm a bit, bit saddened by this. Um, Graham Corby, his mum has dementia. He knows it. She lives at home and she's starting to do strange things. And according to, to the... Neighbours, uh, she just goes out and hangs out her washing, which is nothing particularly difficult about that, except she's not wearing any clothes. Um, which the, the, they don't particularly find quite sort of funny, but they, they, you know, they worry about her, and she do, is does is known to go walk about uh, and and get lost and, and things like that. Um, does she is she now at a stage where? She really has to go into full care. And what I'm saying is, can home care, government-supplied home care, manage somebody in that dementia state? Or is that actually hospitalisation time, do you think? Without being a doctor, of course. If you spoke to um, the government, they Mm. would suggest with a Level 4 package, she should be able to manage at home, don't you think? Correct. Yeah. But again, you've got someone who can be quite challenging, mm. yes. particularly if they're by themselves. Yeah, yeah they can't be there all the time. You, you can't or you shouldn't leave that person in a situation where it is uncontrolled. Mm. Um, you know, mum might like the oven yes. uh, or yeah. whatever it may be. So somehow you need to make the home so level a four safe environment. doesn't account doesn't get Le- to that level. Level 4 provides a, a good amount of care, but it's not 24-7 no, care. No, right, mm. okay. You know, it, it's... If, if I can tell you a funny story from a previous life I had, when I was... A, this is a reincarnation of Peter. When, when I was a surveyor, I, I was doing a survey in St Kilda and with my mate, and there, this was just after they deregulated the... Um, the uh, intellectually disabled space and they were buying homes in the community where there was a home manager and up mm. to s- four to six people who used to be institutionalised were now living in the home mm. environment. And this woman came along to me and, sh- and she said to me, did I have a cigarette? And I said, no, this is a woman in her 40s. I said, no, no, I'm sorry, don't, don't smoke, don't have a cigarette. She said, I'll do anything for a cigarette. Where's this going? <laughs> so she, off, yeah, I'm, I'm off, worried. Off she went. Anyway, um, I told my mate Stan that, that that she had said that, and she went off and ran the corner. And, and on the corner was a bottle shop, which I couldn't see, but I had my theodolite looking down the street, and and Stan had his back to me. He was measuring, and I said to him, Stan, don't look now, but there's a woman walking towards us, and she's totally naked and smoking. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke, is it? It's a true story. No, it's a true story, and a re- within <laughs> and she walked past us. Yeah, walked past us, 
Um, Did she need a nine? Oh, no, she was okay. She was tidy. She walked past us, and next minute, around the corner comes a police car, and both Dan and I said, she went that way. <laughs> oh, but it does highlight the vulnerability of people. Oh, yeah. Well, the purpose of telling the story is yes. there, there's, there has been this concept that we should deinstitutionalise the world and put people in the general community. Mm, Sometimes doesn't it work. doesn't work. No. Sometimes no. there is a duty of care for there to be a watching brief 24-7. Yes. I'm thinking this story tells it's us that mm. we've reached that mm. point where home care probably wouldn't work. Yeah, probably not. No. But a day centre would still be a possibility for the daylight hours. But then, what happens of an evening yeah. and night? Mm. And unless the family are going to live in and make certain that that uh, mum or dad is Where's safe in that, in that environment, <laughs> yeah. then you know there's yeah that you know there there really is is very little option. Other than to move into a residential facility, or someone move into the house twenty four seven. And of course, mm. you, you can imagine. I, I mean, this is only just imagination. Of course, it is. But you, you can imagine that she doesn't know that she's not wearing any clothes and yes. she's outside. And if mm. if you walked up to her and said, "Oh, Mary, for God's sake, go and put some clothes on," she, you know, who knows? She might be awfully embarrassed, or yeah. you know, so you just mm. don't know. No. It's so sad that when people get into that stage of of dementia, which I suppose is what it is. Mm. Uh, well, uh, Graham, uh, uh, yes, I think you've probably time to uh, the, the the sage advice from the panel is that you probably go and talk to your doctor. Or you absolutely, yeah, go I was going to say, mm. yeah, you should talk yeah. to a doctor. Mm. Yeah. There may be some underlying issue, yeah, that uh, the doctor may be able to treat. And it seemed, and other than getting lost, it seems to be a bit of hearsay, you know. But you know, from what he says, you know, it seemed like the neighbours are nice people. So, uh, if uh, talk to your doctor, the, the, yeah, the aged care assessment, which is the ticket to ride. Yeah. Mm. So get uh, get get it, get the uh, the doctor and get his opinion, and uh, just follow their advice, really. But be prepared is probably the next thing. See if you mm. can f- find something nearby. Uh, in the meantime, so that you're ready in case. Yeah. And again, respite is a good opportunity yeah, yeah. to try yes, an aged care right. place. Mm. Yes. But, you know, what, so once you've gone through the assessment process, you do have some options that are open up to you yes. to at least try and see. It may not work, uh, mm. depending on the, the progression of, of the, uh, of the confusion, mm. but nothing ventured, nothing gained. Yes. All right. Well, I think that covers our questions without notice and well done for all of you for what you've done. To that now, there's one last thing. We've only got a couple of minutes, but you got a you told us a very strange tale that you got a, a visit. Yeah, well, I think it, I don't want to cover that. You I'm, don't. Stuart brought up another point, which oh, okay. Okay. I want to cover, which is <clears throat> we would have, we've all been hearing on on the press of lately there's a flu season coming yeah, up yeah, and yeah. compulsory in yep. for mm-hmm. aged care workers for us as operators to encourage our staff to to have um, be. Yes. Isn't so, that so becoming it, compulsory though? No, but it's yes. compulsory for operators to make it available to staff, but that's not saying it's compulsory for staff to take it up. That's not but the way the news is being reported. But they're saying that if they don't, they could be moved on to other areas of the hospital. The or minister what, what, said that. Yes, yes. he did. But mm. Mm. Ken probably needs some advice on that as a topic. Mm. Well, he did say that uh, if 
his advice to operators is if their staff chose not to be inoculated, that they should think long and hard about which areas of the facility they work in so they're not exposed to the residents. Exactly. Which, which I found I, an interesting comment. Yes. But one of the things that I, I also found interesting, really, was I understand totally where the government are coming from, um, but there's been no mention of funding. So mm. it's just another nibble away yeah. at the budgets of all the... Mm. Now, yeah. if you speak to most operators, they're having trouble making ends meet. Here's another little chip away. Like, we have 400 staff at uh, mm. our tea tree facility, and it's something like $24, etc. per inoculation. Mm. Now, if they all choose to take it, that's a significant amount of money that we could be mm. using to care for people um, rather than this. Mm. So... So, oh, so there yeah. are a couple of, mm. of furthies uh, in, in this discussion. What's the biggest source of influenza being introduced into an aged care facility? Visitors. Visitors. And that's washing their hands. Yeah. Mm. And, but, you know, it's mm. kids, mm. you know, they've yeah. come from school, yes. come to see great-granddad, yep. great-grandmum, and um, mm. so they are a, a, a real source of, mm. of issue. Uh, families in general are a real source of introduction because our staff generally are well aware of the problems uh, of uh, of infection. So you, know, yeah. so you know, so we have the hand sanitizer, mm. we have all those sorts of things. Mm. You know, we we certainly promote the flu injection to our staff, uh, but we would only have. I don't know, sixty or seventy staff that would take us up on that, mm. and we've done that forever. Mm. Um, so you know, so it, it's not foreign to us. I think have a choice. You'd be given a choice. I don't like this being told you've got yeah, to do I've, this or. I'm well, not quite certain how you can make that a compulsory thing for mm. a, for an individual. Well, either way, there's two serums, and yes. uh, and it's arbitrary which one your doctor has. So it's a, I think they're just playing a a fifty fifty bet. Mm. One's going to work better than the other, and they don't know which one it is. So certainly, just. just before we abandon you, Brody, that <laughs> that's, <laughs> we'll go sooner rather than later. But but certainly, it's probably a little bit early to get your flu shot now. You probably want to wait until May. Um, that I'm way, wait be, until I'm seventy-eight. Well, that, that's still May. And, and <laughs> go and get your flu shot. Go yeah, on, go we, and get we, it done. Get it out. I mean, the way. we we would. In, you, know, you need to make certain that. Let's say the problem last year was a lot of people had their flu shot in April, including us, mm. but the influenza A uh, morphed uh, in between April and when the, the actual right. really bad mm. flu season hit. So there was, a, there was an update to the vaccination. Um, I wish we had time you to went argue that early. point. I know we don't. Well, we don't. Oh, but okay. no, I'd love to argue I that have point. To, I have to shut <laughs> I'm going to start playing music behind you. Okay. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys, for coming in. Terrific. Thanks, Stuart. Uh, Thanks, Thanks, Barney. Peter. Thanks, Barney. Thanks, Barney. Thanks, Barney. Thanks, Barney. Thanks, Barney. Thanks, Barney. And welcome back to The Age Stage. My name is Paula Dunn and I'm here today with Brodie Gouzet and we're going to be talking in a moment, Brodie, to a gentleman by the name of Anthony Nichols and Anthony is CEO at Osteopathy Australia. Welcome, Anthony. Thanks for having us on. Anthony, what is osteopathy? Uh, and Partly the reason why we have an Osteo Awareness Week is because a lot of people don't understand no. what osteopaths are. <laughs> so... So basically there, it's a manual therapy profession 
they spend four or five years in university training how the body works, how the anatomy and physiology, how muscles work, how your joints and bones work um, to keep your body, body functioning. And then they use uh, those skills and assessment to work out where something might not be working correctly in your body and using manual therapy, whether it's stretching exercises, soft tissue work, um, manipulation of the joints and whatnot to make sure the body is sort of relaxed and functioning at its best because then obviously your circulation and your lymphatic drainage and everything else mm. works better to help you stay healthy. Yeah, I, I um, have had quite a bit of experience with an osteo um, and I found and a physio and I found that way better results with the osteo specifically because you know, he worked on me as opposed to drawing things and telling me to go home and do this exercise or that exercise. Um, would that be a reasonable assessment of the difference yeah, I think, between? I think sort of um, there's probably lots of techniques that physios and osteos use that call them different things but mm. are similar. Yep. I think the base philosophy of osteopathy is very much around it's pointless treating a, a short shoulder if you only treat the shoulder because yes. what what else might be contributing? Exactly. What's the person as a whole? Or, you know, so an osteopath treating back pain or an injury will probably be looking at your back, but your hips and your knees and mm. your ankles mm. and talking to you as a whole body. But that, it's a very hands-on philosophy. Yep. But they generally also will tell you to go home and do some stretching exercises and other bits and pieces as well. Mm. Mm. Can you... Uh can uh, a, a person who, an osteopath, I assume, uh, can they uh, prescribe uh, drugs? No, no. Right. So generally, like most allied health in Australia, they sort of don't have prescribing rights. So they might recommend for if you need an anti-inflammatory like Nurofen or um, Panadol, they'll probably make a recommendation. You go and chat, have a chat with a pharmacist if they think that you need something stronger because if you've got a more serious injury or condition, clearly they're going to refer you back to your GP to talk about that with them for either stronger pain relief or other prescription medication. Mm. Is the ambition then really to manipulate, uh, well, first of all, diagnose the root cause, then try and explore um, the the human built-in defense mechanisms to write uh, to write the problem. Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah, that's probably a, a sort of good something. What not about is partly that sort of philosophy is really looking for the sort of the root cause of the problem. So, and that's partly so if someone showed up saying, I've got a really sore knee, um, they might get slightly shocked that the osteopath will spend quite a bit of time playing around with their hip and their hip joints and, and things like that because they're trying to assess where is the problem because the pain in the knee might be a consequence of the way you're sitting or the way you're moving. And so they're trying to assess what might be the root cause that's resulting then in the display of pain or an injury so that they can say, all right, well, these are some of the problems, so how now can we work with you to identify how we can remove that perhaps that stress or dysfunction in that other part of your body that may then be causing the problem. Mm. And can uh, osteopaths help with, you know, chronic conditions such as arthritis? There's 
it, they can't actually treat the arthritis. What they will do is work with the patient to see how they can keep them mobile, make sure that, you know, a range of other things, their joints are a bit more flexible, how they can give them some advice around um, the best sorts of exercises they might be doing, the sorts of things they might want to avoid, um, how they can then sort of treat some of the muscles around um, where there might be arthritis. Mm-hmm. There's tightness muscles contributing to pain. So mm-hmm. although they wouldn't say they treat the arthritis, treat some of the side effects of having arthritis. I see, yeah. And what sort of preparation do you think that older people could do to prevent, you know, injuries um, and continue to play s- certain sports? Sport and activities. So yeah. obviously it's great for everybody to stay physically active, whether you're uh, a sport or an elderly person, mm-hmm. helps with blood, blood to So we want everyone to stay active. And so partly why we're sort of saying it might be a good time if you're thinking of either increasing your activity or you're feeling some pain or tightness to go and see a health practitioner like an osteopath because mm-hmm. they can talk to you about what you intend to do. They can check your muscles about whether there's any weakness or tightness or whether you've got any problems and pain. Mm-hmm. And they can then talk to you a bit around, these might be some of the um, warm-up exercises that you might think about doing or some stretching or being careful when you do certain activities. And so really it is about that trying to prevent an injury because it's much easier to be careful and prevent an injury than deal with weeks of recovering from an injury. But also it might involve doing some hands-on treatment so that they can reduce some of that muscle tightness so that you can get out there and try mm. different sports or activities. Mm-hmm. And the campaign that's been running, Give It A Go, what could you tell us about that? Yeah, so we just thought it was a great time in the, the fact that um, Osteopathy Awareness Week fell right on the week, um, the Commonwealth Games, and we know Australians generally um, of all ages are slightly sports obsessed. Mm. And we know that um, uh, what, <laughs> what the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare tells us is there are about 14 million Australians in the past 12 months who have played sport. And unfortunately, about 5 million of them have ended up with some injury. Now, that may be something as simple as pulling a muscle to doing some serious damage. but um, So partly the message was we know sort of watching sport tends to integrate people to give it a go mm-hmm. and so we we're just saying to people before you give it a go that's a great idea but think about how you can listen to your body perhaps get some advice so that you can enjoy giving it a go rather than ending up with an injury yes yes well thank you anthony for joining us today on the age stage it's been really interesting and we'd love to have you back again sometime beautiful always happy to come and have a chat thanks anthony. it's terrific thank you Excellent. take thank care you. bye now bye and welcome back to the Age Stage. And we have uh, two very interesting guests with us uh, this morning. Uh, Jeff Shaw, who's founder and CEO of GiverCare, and Christina Carbonides, who's general manager at GiverCare. Welcome, Jeff and Christina. Hi. Now we better make we better make an opening remark here so that our listeners can understand what this uh, interview a is going to be about, but b uh, the, this part that is important. Jeff, uh, who is the CEO of GiverCare, uh, and started this, has a speech impediment that was created by a stroke. 
uh, that uh, he will tell us about. And so there will be moments when uh, you'll need to listen and listen hard uh, while we, we manage the interview. Um, he's, uh, he's a very interesting man and he's got a, a big story to tell in both two ways. One is uh, how his life has obviously been affected. Uh, and and be what he's doing with Give a Care. So, Jeff, first of all, if I can say, uh, thank you very much for coming into the studio. Let's go back to before you had your stroke. What did you do? Well, I went to a carpenter and a pastor for about 25 years. So everything was going along quite normally. You didn't expect anything, and then suddenly you had your stroke. How old were you, Jeff? I was 38. Wow. Did did the stroke leave you in the condition that we see you today? I was much, much worse. It was worse? I couldn't talk at all, and I could hardly walk. No balance at all. Mm. So... Here you are in hospital, you can't hardly speak. The the future looked pretty grim mm. then, didn't it? They, I think. The first thing they did was take my powers down from me. So I had no money or bank account or anything. They took my driver's license, my car, and put me in old age nursing home. Oh, no. For 11 months, Jeff was mm. in the nursing home for 11 months. It, with old... With with, yeah, in a nursing home where all his friends, unfortunately, were passing away, and he was there 38 years old, or had just turned 39 when he went to the nursing home. Mm. Goodness. Did you have family? Did you have... Not no, really. No, okay. I've got a younger son who's now 17. So, uh, obviously, during this time... Uh, over, uh, you, you've encountered this, this horrible moment. You've realized that life has changed. What made you then, uh, say, I'm going to do something about care? Jeff got a bit That's sick right. and tired of the providers who didn't care about him yes. and what his needs were. Mm. Yes. They only cared about his funding and he has a significant funding and they weren't interested on the things that Jeff wanted to do. They were only interested on in giving him basic care. Mm-hmm. So he decided to start Give a Care to manage his own ISP, which is his funding, which was before the NDIS, and after he started using his fund, after he started managing his own funding, other people started seeing what Jeff was doing and said, "Well, we want the same." Mm. So that's where it started organically to mm. what it is now, five years down the track, which is established business and growing like in a very fast pace. So, Jeff, when you say you wanted to do the things that you wanted to do, what were some of those things? Well, how the service providers are, they're managing skin in keeping you alive so they can keep getting the funding yes. money. Yeah. My idea is we need to live yeah. and enjoy ourselves. Yeah. And all the funding there, we need to use it there. 
and have fun with it. Mm. So the discrepancy really is you've got a group of people with challenges who are just being kept alive. Yes. Mm. And then you've got what you were bringing, which is how to be alive, mm. which is how to, mm. how, how to live. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Mm. I've got it. That, that, uh, and, and you said, and this was set up five years ago. Mm. And, Christina, did you join then? Were you part? No? No, I joined Give a Care just over 18 months ago. And 18 months ago, we had about three clients and the business is growing. So we, for the, the past 18 months, we were creating all our foundation to be able to receive a large number of clients, which is what's happening now. What do you actually do for them in, to help them with this, to, to, Enjoy life. Experience. Life. Well, pretty much anything that can do, we help them with mm-hmm. anything. So going out and movies or activities, pretty much anything they want. Mm-hmm. So do you help them stay in their own homes? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so we support them to do anything that is. It's like a tagline, your life, your choice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Some yeah, clients never had funding before, and as the NDIS is rolling out in Bayside and, and the peninsula, they're having funding for the first time. And there are a lot of people who have been living, we have some young clients who have been living with their families and not going out on their own, mm-hmm. even though... They, they can, and they don't want to go out with their parents if they are in their mid-20s. Mm. So we match the support worker with um, the client. So we have groups of um, people who live leave school on year 12, and then they don't want to go to a day program. They want to continue seeing their friends and learning as they have fun. So we create customized groups for these people. Mm -hmm. We have clients who have amazing abilities, but they never have been able to expose that to others, so we are facilitating that. So our care is very personalized, and give a care is is what it is. What it says. We really care. We Mm. get involved in people's lives. And obviously the moment they hear about Jeff's story, that makes a difference because we have the inside information mm. and yes all right well, we we've, we're, we're sort of getting close to running out of time jeff uh if people do you go and talk to groups do you go get get out and uh explain what you do well not essentially no because it's terrible yes, for me to talk i am a member of brain injury Masters. I do not bench and speak up by sight with also advocacy groups yes. for disabled people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, I'm completely and absolutely gobsmacked. I, mm. to, to, to see a young man, a relatively young, younger than me, uh, uh, for a person who's had three TIAs, uh, uh, and I still do stupid things. And to see what you're doing, 
is a remarkable achievement, yes, and isn't it? celebrating life. And it's and put a smile on absolutely. your face. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Jeff is an yes. inspiration. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, Jeff, are you continuing with your own rehabilitation? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. You never stop recovering. Mm. Yes. But yeah. it is getting better. Much no. better. Jeff used to have a board where he would write what mm-hmm. he wanted to say. But he hasn't used it for over a year. So if you go to our website and see a video there, that's a completely different jazz to what you're hearing today. He is just a go-getter. And one thing is that Jeff is very passionate about helping people. Mm. And that's what it's all about. Well, somebody's only got to talk to you and realize what what realize that passion and realize that nothing's obviously going to stop you mm-hmm. and if it's not going to stop you well why should it stop me and and uh that's got to be the biggest spur to put a smile on your dial and say there is hope yes and there is a life to be led and it needn't be miserable um mm. and here's proof that here's is. proof Jeff, well done. Congratulations. Thank you very much for the show. And thank you so much for giving a care. And Christina, you wanted to say something about a fundraiser. Yes. So we have a client who at the age of 13 was the youngest person diagnosed with MS. Mm -hmm. He's now 52 and he's attempting to climb Mount Everest. For an average person to climb Mount Everest, you need $100,000. For Bobby, he's been on the media. So his name is Bobby Badrim. He needs 300000 we are doing a fundraising on the 5th of May at 3 p.m. at Southland um, a Village Cinemas. So if anyone is interested, the movie is Avengers Infinity War. They can go to our Facebook page. Just mm-hmm. look us up on Facebook. Give a care. What's There's the date? A link. 5th of May, Saturday of May. at 3 p.m. And you get to meet Bobby mm-hmm. and Jeff and two people with a disability who are making a, a difference. big difference. Absolutely. So look well us done. up on Facebook under Give a Care. Well, if he's going to go to the highest point, you better start to learn scuba diving. That's yeah. I will do bait scuba diving on the Bowdoin Reef oh, well done. in 2013. Well, there you go. You've been to the lowest point. You've been to the highest point. <laughs> Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for Thank coming you. in. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Well, it brings us to the end of another show. It does, Brody. It was a really interesting show. It was an interesting show. I love those questions. Yeah, I do yeah. too. And, keep and them so coming, keep them coming, everybody. Yeah. Yes, if you've, uh, if, you've uh, if you've got a question you'd like to ask, five nine seven five one two three four, and then if there's no one answering, then just leave a message, uh, and uh, it'll come through to us, and we will ask the panel because they're the wise ones, not us. They are. Yes. All right, we'll see you next week. See you next week, Brody. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.